Hello everyone, good morning. It's great to see you. Uh, my name is Ben. Um, and would you join me in prayer as we start? Um, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of fellowship with one another. We thank you for the year that has passed. And we come to you now asking for you to speak to us as we look ahead into a new year. And as we think about what it means for us to be family, not by human blood, but by the blood of Christ shed on the cross. Please speak to us in this time, for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, yeah, it's great for me to uh, be back. I've missed you. You'll be happy that uh, I got to go back to Wales. So that was a good time for me. And I don't know how you like to uh, spend the Christmas period. Maybe you like to go for walks or listen to music or whatever, watch films. Uh, I like to, this sounds a bit pretentious actually, but I like to read. Uh, And to maybe read something that I wouldn't normally read. Just a bit of a chance over the Christmas break to do that. And one thing I had bought in November and I've been wanting to read was a biography of Marvin Gaye. Um, He's one of my, well, he did one album in particular, uh, which I love, called What's Going On. I don't know if you've listened to it. It's a real soul album and speaking about lots of the issues, especially Vietnam War, which was going on at the time. He's a great soul singer. And you really hear the pain that comes through his voice. And in one of his songs, it's called God is Love. And he speaks so tenderly of God as Father. One of the verses says, Don't go and talk about my Father. God is my friend. He made this world for us to live in. He gave us everything. Don't go and talk about my Father. God is my friend. If I was Tim Savage, I would have broken out into song there. But I don't quite have his voice. Uh, And I was wondering, well, where's this coming from? Because I knew vaguely that he had a difficult life. So I wanted to read his biography. And I was amazed. I had no idea at how tragic his life was, how sad it was, how much he went through, particularly in his family life. I had a very harsh and abusive father. And really that coloured the whole of his life. And uh, there was a bit in particular which really struck me. So Marvin Gaye, he grew up in Washington Uh, With a father and mother, he grew up in a kind of a a Christian sect, and it was a very strict upbringing. Um, And by the time it was clear, he had an amazing talent, and he was starting to get noticed, and he was about to leave home to go to Detroit to start his singing career. And this is what he, as he recalls that, that moment when he's saying goodbye to his father and mother, this is what he says. I can't say whether it was more difficult saying goodbye to mother or father. I didn't want to think, mother to think I was deserting her. I promised her I never would. I told her that I was doing this for her. She believed me, and she told me that she knew I'd make it. I wanted to tell father that I wished never to see him again. I wanted to forget everything he'd done to me as a child, but that wasn't possible. We just looked at each other. I think we were both afraid of what we might say. Father and I had special ways of hurting each other. If I could have spoken my heart, I'd have said, please love me. But I didn't say a word, and neither did he. We both realized this was it. it. I was going out on my own, and there was nothing in hell that he could do about it. 
I drove away in Harvey's car. I'd signed with Harvey for life, and I was happy to be leaving, hoping never to come back to these bad, sad memories again. If you know his story, that's even more sad, because this was just a constant problem in his life. Uh, And actually, such a tragic end to his life, where, as had often been the case, he and his father would fight for his mother's affection. And that one night, uh, when Marvin was very depressed later on in life, it led to a fight with him and his father, and his father shot him. And he died one day before his 48th birthday. I didn't know about any of this, about Marvin's life. Such a sad life, such a, a pain that many people didn't actually know in the music business or those who were close to him that he carried through all of his life and it led to so many of his own personal struggles with sin in his life. Um, and I think that can often be true for many of us, that we carry pains in our family lives and maybe we don't all know about each other's pains, what we go through in our family life. I think one of the times where that comes up most for us can be Christmas. Because generally the culture sees it as a time to go and be with family. And that can sometimes shine a light on the difficulties in our family lives. It can be painful. And that can be for many different kinds of families. Marvin's own particular struggle is quite a severe one, and that may be yours also, but sometimes they can be more subtle. It might just be a sense of loneliness. Uh, Maybe it's not being in conflict with your family, but you're mourning uh, a lost one at that time, grieving over that. Maybe it's a family member who is sick. Uh, Maybe it's broken relationships that are going. There can be many things, many ways that we carry those family pains, and I want us to take time this morning to think about what difference does the cross make to our family life? What difference does it make when we bring our family life, everything, even the good things in our family life, what happens when we bring it to the cross? What difference does the cross make to your family life? So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, So let's turn to our passage in John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We're going to see three things. Three things that we see from Jesus on the cross and what, how that makes a difference to our family life. So the first thing we're going to see is that at the cross, Jesus cares for your earthly family. At the cross, Jesus cares for your earthly family. Now, lots of times, if you've read the Gospels and you look at Jesus and what he says about the family, you might find that statement to be quite surprising. One of the things that Jesus had to do in his ministry for those who would follow him is he would have to challenge the attachment that they had to their family, which might stop them from following him. So he would say things in hyperbolic language sometimes, such as, if anyone will not hate their father or mother and and follow me, then they are not worthy of me. Of course, he doesn't mean in that case that you ought to hate your parents. But he says that if it comes to it where it's me or your family, only me, only those who will choose me and take up that cost are worthy of me. So there's sometimes where we hear those words from Jesus, and there are others like them in the Gospels, 
they sound like he is quite dismissive of our earthly family. He's come to save us, to rescue us from this world of darkness. But when we come to this event in the cross, that doesn't quite fit, does it? Look what it says in verse 25. Verse 25 of chapter 19. We're just going to really focus on three verses from 25 to 27 in this time. Jesus, it says here, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his own home. That's an incredible event, isn't it? This is the hour. This is the hour that Jesus has come from. He's being mocked by his own. The people he's come to save. Rejected, feeling the Father's rejection even. Feeling God forsaken at the cross. The immense physical pain that he's going through. And in his anguish, he looks and he sees his mother and he makes sure that he's cared for. He gives her to a new son, to his disciple, whom he also loved. There are many things we can say about this event, but one of them is just such a simple one. Jesus cares. He cares for his mother. Mary would have had, you can imagine the pain. We've been thinking about Mary, haven't we, in the nativity and in the birth and the joy, the rejoicing that she had at being given uh, this privilege that she has of bringing the Saviour into the world. But this is the piercing of her heart. Like every mother, she would have carried dreams for her son and that dream would not have been his death on the cross. Immense pain for Mary. And we, we know by this stage... She's a widow. Joseph is not around. So she's, she's a very vulnerable person. Very lonely, you could imagine, that this will bring. And she's seeing this happen. Now, we do know she has other sons. And the impression we get from the gospel at this stage is they're not particularly warm towards Jesus' ministry. So Jesus sees that, sees what she's going through, sees her pain, and he wants... It's one of the last things he does on the cross in John's account. Just to care for his mother. Jesus doesn't dismiss the pain that we experience in our family lives. He doesn't dismiss it. He cares for his mother at that moment. So Jesus cares for his mother. Now... There's some details in this passage which might also contradict what I've just said. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, uh, I think some of you who are sons might have noticed that when Jesus says to, sees his mother and says, woman, <laughs> you know, am I allowed to do that? I'm not going to give you permission to go home later and see your mother. Maybe she's asking you to help with the dishes and you say, woman, <laughs> 
No, you do not have permission to do it. It sounds very rude to us, doesn't it? It sounds very rude. But actually, I think the translation for us, woman, that does seem rude. I think back in, in those days, you see he does it later, actually, in the next chapter to Mary Magdalene. Maybe it's just a kind of something a bit more like madam or my lady. So not rude, I don't think. But nonetheless, it is strange, isn't it, to say that to your mother? It does seem that there's some sort of distancing that Jesus is doing with Mary. And it's very interesting, actually. Mary has a very minor role in John's Gospel. She only appears twice. And the other time is at the wedding in Cana. And she says to Jesus, as she sees the wedding, the banquet, that they have no wine. She says, Jesus, they have no wine. And he says to her, woman, what has that to do with you and me? My hour has not come. Strange, isn't it? I've been puzzling over what's going on here, because there seem to be some parallels between this passage in John chapter 2 and John chapter 19. He addresses her as woman. The wine symbolizes the blood that he's shedding on the cross. And this is the hour in John chapter 19 that had not yet come at the wedding in Cana. What's going on there? I think... My best kind of take on this, it'd be interesting to see what you think, is that uh, Mary, who, let's remember, went into John's home. So John, writing this gospel, probably would bear some influence from Mary. It's almost like John is wanting us to see, and perhaps Mary is wanting us to see, that she had to go to Jesus like every other woman. It was imperative for her that she didn't hold on, grasp on to Jesus purely as her own son. But like every other woman, every other disciple, she needs to believe in him. She needs to believe in him. And maybe this is Jesus uh, in John's account. John's showing us that Jesus is trying to help Mary in that sense, to come to him in that way as any other disciple. And there we see, I think, not only Jesus caring for her in the sense of providing a home for her with John but also I think caring for her own discipleship Jesus needs to believe in her own earthly son as her saviour as her lord as her God a complex relationship that must have been for her and Jesus is caring for her in that so Jesus cares for your earthly family. The second thing we're going to see here, the second thing is that Jesus calls you to a new family. Jesus calls you to a new family. He does not say to to John and to Mary, uh, John, look after her. Take care of her. Could have said that, couldn't he? But that's not what he says. Actually, what he says is, uh, to to the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said, uh, sorry, to the mother, he said, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Now, actually, uh, in the the Greek here, we have uh, a repetition of a certain word. So you see where it says in verse 25, Jesus stood. Uh, uh, sorry, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife, all these things. And it says that Jesus saw her. 
And then the same word is repeated. So that he says to his, to his mother, see your son. And then to the disciple, he says, see your mother. The ESV uses the word behold to get, a, get across the sense of grandeur here. But I think that's significant. Jesus at the cross sees his mother, sees his disciple, and then says to them, see each other. Not just as companions, not just as friends, see each other as family. See your mother, see your son. Have the eyes, the cross. What the cross is doing is it's making followers of Jesus into one family with one another. Making you one. And this is the most immense privilege, I think, that we get a new family in Christ. A new, the pains we carry in our earthly family, Jesus doesn't promise to fix all of those in our life on earth. And that's something that is hard for us to come to terms with. And it's, it's a great blessing that we have Jesus' care in that. That's the first point we're saying. He knows that pain. He experienced difficulty. He cares for us there. But what he does do to bring some kind of solution to this is he calls you to a new family. And this new family is grounded in the cross, in a reconciling event. Such a gift. There's a, a good friend of mine in uh, Oxford who comes from Sri Lanka and uh, has had a very difficult family life himself uh, and his parents are in Sri Lanka and he was in his workplace, his friends were asking him, oh, so what are you going to do this Christmas? You know, are you going to be with family? And he said, no, I'm, I'm not, but I have two friends who I met. Uh, they're an older couple in my former church and they invited me around for Christmas one time and every year since I've gone back to them and his, his colleagues said oh we're so sorry that sounds really hard that sounds so tough and he was like no <laughs> I love it I can't wait to be with them they are my family now this isn't a hardship for me I love them and I can't wait to see them it's such a gift that we have family in Christ. And I think sometimes one of the problems we have in our family life is that the connection, the bond we have by blood is, always, not, often, is not always strong enough to overcome other things that we bring in. Expectations that some family members can have for you growing up that become a load that you cannot carry. The cross obliterates that. The family of believers at the cross is a family of complete and utter humility. No one can come to the cross and look at their brother and sister standing nearby and say, you're not shaping up. You've let me down. Family where we all come as weak and bankrupt 
And where we all find acceptance. Jesus there dying for our sins and making us one with one another. And that creates such a strong bond. You can imagine. What difference does it make for John, the disciple, to hear Jesus say this to him at this moment when he's dying on the cross? Can you imagine the emotional weight that would carry for him? So also for us. Bonhoeffer, uh, I have some quotes from Bonhoeffer which are quite long. You're going to have to bear with me here. But I think Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote a book called Life Together. It's one of my favorite books. I try to read it uh, once a year. Um, It's just wonderful reflections he has on this. This is him speaking about uh, what binds us in one family. He says this, when God was merciful to us, we learned to be merciful with one another. When we receive forgiveness instead of judgment, we too were made ready to forgive each other. What God did to us, we then owe to others. One is a brother or a sister to one another, only through Jesus Christ. We have one another, only through Christ. But through Christ, we really do have one another. We have one another completely and for all eternity. We really are one, friends. We have all come and we've all received mercy and we ought to give it to one another as well. And when we receive this call at the cross, it brings that home to us. We are one in Christ. He then brings out a conclusion from this. This dismisses at the outset, at the outset every other unhappy desire for something else. Because I think sometimes... When we, one of the things we struggle sometimes with one another, and especially when we establish close relationships, is we get frustrated. We have a, an ideal that we bring into the, the church community and we want it to be met. And we, want, we have this ideal vision, this is what it should be like, and we find it's not like that. He has a lot of words to say on this also. Look at these words. I found these so convicting when I first read them. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so not honest. Those who dream of this idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others and by themselves. They enter the community with their demands, set up their own law and judge one another and even God accordingly. Whatever does not go their way they call a failure. When their idealized image is shattered, they see the community breaking into pieces. Because their foundation for family is this vision. You must be like this, you must do it this way. But look at the alternative way that he calls us to. Because God has laid the only foundation of our community, because God has united us in one body with other Christians in Jesus Christ, long before we entered into common life with them, we enter into that life together with other Christians, not as demanders, but as thankful recipients. What a mercy. I'm so thankful to be among you. 
That's what the cross brings us into, not as demanders, as thankful recipients. Now, some of you might be thinking, Ben, can you give me a, an illustration from your sporting career that helps me to understand it? <laughs> I know many of you are not thinking that, but uh, bear with me. This is one of my weaknesses you have to bear with. I don't need a Bible for this. I don't know why I'm carrying it. When I, one of the more trivial reasons for family conflict in my life has been I've only just recently admitted that my brother is better than me at football. Um, when I was younger, must have been, I can't remember, maybe 11 or 12, this is a vague memory, um, he's two years older than me, and his team uh, hadn't, didn't have enough players for the Saturday match. It's never happened before. And they were looking around, and brother's like, or well, maybe Ben could play for us. And they all were like, yeah, go on, Ben. You join our team. And uh, I think I was playing right back, which isn't my favourite position, because there's no glory found there. Um, but I remember when I was there, in the scene, I was like, oh my goodness, I look up to these people so much, I'm going to get to play with my brother. And I, was, I didn't care that I was playing right back. I was just happy to be there. It was my honour to be there. I felt like, oh, this is amazing. What a chance for me. I'll do anything you need me to do. I think that's how we need to see each other, friends. What a privilege to be called into the family of God. It's not something I deserve. I think sometimes because we become very familiar with the gospel message that says all are welcome all you have to do is believe in Jesus. Sometimes we take that message and it causes us to take for granted the fact that we are here. Almost as though there's low standards to be in this community and therefore, you know, anyone could be here. So it's not that great, is it? The cross shatters that. What the cross tells us is there are immensely high standards to be called into the family of God. To be called as those who represent the Father on earth. To be image bearers of God. To seek for justice and to live justly. To love others as the Father loves. What an immense privilege. None of us deserve to be here. You do not deserve it. You are here by complete gift should be like me in the football team. Like, what am I doing here? I'm not good enough to be here. I'll do anything. I'll serve. I will love. And I'm not going to set up my demands here. As though you were all privileged to have me as your brother. That's not the basis of our family life. The basis of our family life is the cross. And we all just come. We all just come with all our needs, all our mess all our darkness and we come and we receive the grace of Jesus Christ and then we look to one another and say this is my brother and sister whatever, the, whatever they are whatever they are going through that's my family we may have aspirations for what we might become as a family that's not a bad thing to have but we don't judge one another on those we don't put them upon each other and demand that they be fulfilled. 
That's not the foundation. And I think that's what Bonhoeffer is saying here. And I think that's really important for us to hear. Maybe for you to hear. Maybe practically something that would help you here. Uh, something that I started to do uh, a couple of years ago. Because I would notice that uh, sometimes I would come in, into the church family. And I would not be very patient with you. Uh, and would actually be pretty grumpy. So I noticed that I would receive very little from the service in that state. (coughs) And what I realized was that actually before I come to church on a Sunday, or maybe even before I come to a prayer meeting or house group, if I can, and most of the times I can, I just want to come to Jesus on my own. Just be alone before him, before his cross, and get a real sense of myself, and get a sense of you, even sometimes to picture. I don't actually do this as much as I would like, but just to get a picture of us all here before Jesus at the cross. I think as we do that, we will come much closer with one another. Much closer. If our bonds do not rest on whether or not we like each other, but whether or not we are all before the cross of Christ. I love that uh, children's talk. Sometimes the children's talk is so good you don't want to get up here. And uh, the way Lucy and Andrew showed us there that even as we have brothers and sisters, we are all family. We are all here family. But you can't be at the same depth with everyone. There's going to be people you're closer with than others. But that, even those close things, those may develop on things you have in common, and that's great. But let Jesus always be the foundations of those deeper friendships. We all receive this call from Jesus. See each other. See your mother. See your father. See your brother. See your sister at the cross. So that's the second point. Jesus calls you to a new family. This is what he does for us at the cross and it helps us so much with our own family pains in our earthly families. Sometimes we will let each other down. It's part, it's part of that point was to recognise that. But there's something else Jesus does for us here on the cross that is the most significant thing. Number three, Jesus carries you to the Father. That's what he's doing at the cross. And this comes out uh, after this amazing event where he unites John and Mary to one another at the cross. Then this is the last thing he did. And then it says, verse 28, later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is Jesus giving up his life for the sake of the world. As a sacrifice for sins, doing away with our sins, doing away with everything that kept us, that was a barrier between us and God. He removed it. 
on the cross, exhausting the power of sin in his death and paying the full penalty for it. And it means that he can later on say this to Mary Magdalene in chapter 20, verse 17. This is when Mary's come to him. She's, he's seen that Jesus is resurrected. He's come back from death. And Jesus says to her, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. When we read about Jesus, he had such a wonderful way of speaking about God as my Father. Something that was quite unique about him. He spoke of God as his Father. And here's the moment where he's saying, my father is your father. Ergo, I am your brother. Tell my brothers this. Some of us may carry lots of pains to do with our fathers. Some of us will have had really great fathers growing up and that's a great gift. But for some of us, I know, um, that has been a, an area of difficulty. And as I said, that was such a struggle for Marvin Gaye. And uh, this is one of the things that he also said. He was so self-aware. Um, and he used to say, uh, he said this, that living with father was some, some, something like living with a king. A very peculiar, changeable, cruel and all-powerful king. You were supposed to tiptoe around his moods. You were supposed to do anything to win his favour. I never did. Even though winning his love was the ultimate goal of my childhood, I defied him. I hated his attitude. I thought that I could win his love through singing, so I sang my heart out. But the better I became, the greater his demands. I could never gain his favour. That can be such a crippling thing. And for Marvin, though he did sing so tenderly of God as Father, as you read about his life, he never got over the way that his earthly father pictured his view of the Heavenly Father as one who would just never accept him, who had a standard that he could never reach. And he never got over that. That's, that's for me, one of the saddest things about his life. And I know for many of us, this will be a great barrier to really going into God's presence with the full confidence that he is our loving father. It's so hard for us to get past that. To be honest, even if you've had a good father, it's still hard. It can still be very difficult to see God as a father who truly does welcome you as his son. But this is what the cross shows us. When we look at our family at the cross, we see that we have a father who there is nothing that hinders us from going to him. Jesus says, it is finished. No more of that. No more of trying to make your own way up. It is finished. I have done it. Tell my brothers, I'm going to my father and your father. 
You have God as your Father. What a gift. If everything else fails, and everyone else fails you, you know that this is always true. And I just pray that in this moment you would hear God inviting you to him. That your relationship to God as Father would always go through the cross, through the cross. There, that's my assurance. That's my knowledge that I am loved by him and that I am welcome. Everything I've said today, I hope it doesn't come across to you as something that is maybe uh, a pat answer. As though, okay, if you just get these things, then you'll get past these pains. I don't want it to come across that way. These things are often will be things that you will carry for the rest of your life. I'm sure Mary never fully got over what she went through. Nonetheless, these are great helps to you. And God is wanting you to receive these things. At the cross, Jesus cares for your earthly family. At the cross, Jesus calls you to a new family. That's what we are to one another. And most of all, he carries you to the Father. What a gift. Let's go to the Father now in prayer. Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Where would we be without the cross of Jesus? It makes all the difference to us and it makes the difference to our family lives, Lord. Pray that you would help us to receive healing in that place of our life at this time. As we come to you through a saviour who knows our troubles, who's experienced them, who cares who brings us into the new family. Lord, I pray this new year, please help us to love one another as family. I thank you, Lord, for the way that is so evident in our church. Uh, What a gift it is to be in this church, Lord, where that is so clear. And I pray we give you thanks for that and we pray that it would continue all the more. And Father, we do ask that your love for us as a father would be deeply known to us in our own hearts. Help us to always come to you through the cross. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.